Father in heaven, bless us quickly, dear God. Grant us understanding. Grant me simple language, dear God. Let my purpose be to glorify your name and to be a blessing to your people. I pray in Jesus' name, let God's people say, Amen and Amen. Genesis 2, let's read from verse 7. Our subject, the issues of life. Genesis chapter 2, reading from verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Very clear. Verse 8, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Let us reread verse 8. We shall do so microscopically looking for geographical locations. There's much wisdom and much benefit to be gained by reading the Bible very, very closely and carefully. Verse 8, Genesis 2. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward where? In Eden. The garden was in Eden. Which means we have two areas. Name them. Eden and the garden. Let me say that again. There was Eden. Then in Eden, God planted a garden. So God planted a garden eastward. In Eden, we have two geographical locations. Go to Genesis chapter 4. We read verse 16. Our subject, the issues of life. Genesis 4, reading verse 16. By the way, why I welcomed you, I must also welcome those who will listen to this message by recording wherever you are. May the Lord bless you with light, understanding, and a willingness to live by what you learn. Genesis 4, verse 16, what does the Bible say? And Cain did what? Went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt where? In the land of Nod, where? On the east, now we have a third geographical location. We have the garden. Where was the garden? In Eden, where did Cain live? In the land of Nod, where? On the east of Eden. So what we have, the large world, which God made, then an area called Eden, then an area called the garden. Let me say that again. You look baffled, befuddled, bamboozled, and bewildered. <laughs> Name the three geographical locations we have reasonably identified. Eden. But let, let's start from small to large. The garden. Adam and Eve's home. The larger area, Eden. And then the rest of the world, the earth, yes, of which Nod was a part. Eden, uh, garden, Eden, the larger world. If that's clear, say amen. amen. Now, let's go back to chapter 2. Let's read verse 9. Our subject, the issues of life. And I really mean it when I say, listen as if this message is for you. Perhaps God brought you to this weekend just for this message. Not for me, for this message. Verse 9, Genesis 2. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life, read with me now, also where? In the midst of the garden 
and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, where was the tree of life put by God? In the garden. In the middle of the garden. But two trees are named in that verse. The tree of life, also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Where was the tree of knowledge of good and evil? But the verse, yes, the verse doesn't tell us exactly where. The verse tells us the tree of life was in the midst of the garden. Let's go to chapter 3. Let's read from verse 1, our subject, the issues of life. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, read with me now, which is in the midst of the garden, what tree is that? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Where was the tree of life? Where was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? In the midst of the garden. From which one could Adam eat and preserve his life? Where was that? Which one was forbidden? Where was that? In the midst of the garden. What's our subject? The issues of life. The major issues of life are not on the edges of our lives. We have to confront them every day because they are right in front of our eyes. That is the choice between right and wrong. What does the Bible say of the, the, the word of faith? Do you have to go to heaven to bring Christ down or go down to the deep? To, where is it? It is nigh unto thee even where in thy mouth and in thine heart. That's the word of righteousness. But where is evil? Sin lieth where? God told Cain at the door. Both are in the center of our lives. But we have to make what? A choice. And so here's your iPad. The latest model. Amen. <laughs> you can open and go to 3ABN. Or you can open and go to nasty website. They're both right here. You have to choose. You go to a supermarket. There's the meat. They're the vegetables. You don't have to catch a bus to go get the meat. It's right next to the vegetables. You have to choose. Tree of life, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God does not remove all temptations from our lives. He gives us the word of power. And so he said to Adam, verse 16, Genesis to our subject, the issues of life. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. 
For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In that statement, thou shalt surely die, God is saying two things. If you disobey, you die. Flip that coin. And what is God saying? If you obey, finish it, you live. Two choices. Tree of life. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's look at two choices again. Genesis 2.17, God said, In the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 4, The serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. We have two choices of authority. Either the word of God or the word of everybody else combined under Satan. Let me say that again. If it's not the word of God, it is not of God. Now, I didn't say if it's not in the Bible, it's not of God. There are truths not expressly stated in the Bible, but they are of God because all truth is of God. Are you with me? So what I said was if it is not of God, it is of the devil. This goes back to Genesis chapter 3 and chapter 2. God said, if you eat, you die. The devil said, if you eat, you live. And Adam and Eve had to choose. What is choice? It's the exercise of the will. That capacity of the mind that allows you to decide how you will act. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19, the Bible says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. The tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Life, death, heaven, hell, salvation, damnation, Jesus, Satan. And God says, choose life. That's a recommendation. Choose life. The only way to choose life is to choose obedience. I've often gotten this question, if God is good, why is there so much suffering and there isn't a preacher on the face of the earth who has not been confronted with that question? And I feel badly for God, as we say in our modern language, he has gotten a bad rap. Listen to what the Bible says. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Listen again microscopically. And God saw everything that he had made. Jesus doeth all things well. Everything God does is well done. Then God brought Adam and Eve into this well-made environment. No sickness, no disease, no sin, no crime, no Zika virus, no Ebola, no divorce, no genetic deformities, nothing of the kind, no hospitals, no prisons, no police, no soldiers, no bombs, no warplanes, no aircraft carriers, no condoms. And God said effectively to Adam, if you want this to continue, 
if you want to continue living in a perfect, flawless, sinless world, obey me. Listen to God again, his word. And God saw everything he had made. Behold, very good. The one who made was actually Christ. He's the creator at the will of the Father. Along came Adam and disobeyed. Yet people blame God. Mankind chose sin. Mankind chose death. But one of, the, one of the ugly aspects of sin is the sin transfers blame. Are you with me? If you're a therapist, you are familiar with the term transference. So you go to see a therapist. And you offer the therapist, maybe you brought him a little carton of orange juice. And he says, no thanks. And you immediately react. Because you feel rejected. Why? Because your parents have rejected you. So you pass on your reaction to him or her. Transference. Because of sin, when God said to Adam, you know what did you do? He said the woman. When God asked the woman, the serpent. And so now that we're living in a world of sin by our own choice, we transfer the blame to God. For the choices we made. The issues of life are right before us. And God in his unlimited wisdom, he tells us, choose life. Choose obedience. Choose righteousness. Not only on Sabbath. As I said in one of the presentations, we spend about three hours in church. They are 168 hours in a week. We spend three about, approximately, in church. Most churches no longer have AY. Very few people go to prayer meeting. Three. And depending on the ethnic group your church is made up of, it may be just two. 166 hours away from church, we have decisions to make. And God says to us, Choose life, regardless of your age. My brothers and my sisters, this message will be brief, but hopefully direct. Everyone who goes to hell will go by choice. Most of our suffering is by choice. God's desire is to bless his people. So superabundantly that when the unbeliever sees the blessings upon God's people, that becomes the most powerful advertisement for evangelism, the way God's people are blessed. Because everyone, want, everyone wants to be a part of a good thing. He wants to bless us. Why do we suffer so much? The Bible has one job, not two. One. Some of us live as if we're called to follow Christ in order that we might be Job. There's only one Job. We're called to live blessed lives. Yes, we're coming to the end of time. 
the time of trouble, yes, we know that. But if God's people would choose righteousness, his miraculous working in their lives would bring more people into the church than evangelistic crusades. If we would choose to obey God with microscopic fidelity. Why do I say microscopic fidelity? In Child Guidance, page 79, paragraph 5, Ellen White writes, of the test God gave to Adam, it was the least test that God could give the holy pair in Eden. God could not think of a smaller test. So the test was microscopic. You need a microscope to see it. And he failed. But the ramifications and the results are macroscopic. For those of you who say, what does he mean? Microscopic means small. Macroscopic means humongous. I was talking to a friend of mine. He attended yesterday. He's a medical doctor. Another friend of mine is a dentist. They both attended yesterday. And I asked, what causes muscular dystrophy? It is something going wrong at the microscopic level. What causes, is it called lactose intolerance? It is something going wrong at the microscopic level. The person does not produce, what's the enzyme called, lactase? Have you ever seen an enzyme? What causes problems in the brain? There isn't that, perhaps that, the, 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 the neurotransmitter acetylcholine does not cross that synaptic gap. Have you ever seen uh, uh, a neuron? Yet, one of the most destructive teachings in the church is that there's something called a little sin. And so we, we disregard little things. We say, but it's only a little stud. Hmm? You can hardly see it until the sun shines and it glints in the sun. It's a little stud. I've only painted one toe. The other nine are sanctified. Why would God condemn me? Adam's test was a little test. I only drink wine on my birthday and I have one a year. We have all these liberal approaches to what we call little things. Don't you understand Jesus suffered on the cross for a little thing? Adam didn't commit murder. He didn't commit rape. It wasn't carjacking. He bit into fruit. A little thing. And it cost the life of the Son of God. The issues of life are both large and small. Anything that's wrong is dangerous. Jesus preaches the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is like what? Mustard seed. Which indeed is the smallest of all seeds. But if you turn that coin, the kingdom of hell is also like a mustard seed. You take a little of Satan and do nothing about it. It will grow into a satanic tree. 
You take a little of Jesus and you water it, it grows into the tree of righteousness. Little things have huge consequences. Where's my brother Peter? Where's Peter? Where's Peter? He prayed for me. Peter, where'd you go? Where's Peter? Peter, how tall are you? 6'3? Six, 6'4? Six, he did not begin at 6'4. Are you following me? He began so small, something from the father, something from the mother, then they began to divide. You needed a microscope to see them. Now we have six feet four. The issues of life, most of them are not big. They're small. But the consequences are massive. Now let me say, even if it displeases you, most people who are lost will be lost for little things. In any country, most people are not in prison. United States has 310 million. About 2 million are under the control of the penal system, whether in prison, jail, probation, parole, whatever. I was in Uganda a few years ago. Population, I don't know, probably 25, 30 million. They had about 15,000 inmates. I went to pray for two men who were on death row, and one of the officers told me that. Any country you visit, most people are not criminals. But Jesus said, enter in at what gate? The straight gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth what? To destruction and many. Straight is the gate, narrows the way which leadeth unto life and few. That is a statistical statement. For those of you who study statistics, you apply that to every church. You know what Jesus is saying? In every church, finish my words, most people will be lost. And most of them are law-abiding. Listen to what they were doing in the days of Lot and Noah. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage, they planted, they builded, they bought, they sold. Which one of those is a crime? None. What was the outcome? Lost. Because Christ was not the focus. Listen to another group that's lost. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? This is an impressive resume that should qualify anyone for a place in God's kingdom. What does Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. Ye that work iniquity. Let me close by reminding all of us, including me, the issues of life are central right and wrong god provides the power to choose right we need no help to choose wrong because we're born with a nature that gravitates towards wrong are you following me so we need a power greater than sin to change our natural behavior that's why only god can save you because the power of sin is the power of satan and the power of satan is the second greatest power in the universe ellen white writes in bible commentary volume 5 page 1083 paragraph 1 bear in mind that it is none but god that can hold an argument with satan 
Christ's triumphant page 190, paragraph 4, she writes, Christ had been warned not to enter into argument with Satan. In his humanity, he couldn't win. The power to choose right is guaranteed when we access it through faith in God's word. If Adam had simply held on to God's word, he would not have fallen so catastrophically. Why catastrophically? Because of the consequences that befell the earth and we feel them today. Choose to do right. Choose to give your life to God the moment you open your eyes in the morning. Choose. That's the will. Choose to study God's word. Choose to read messages to young people. Choose to read Adventist Home if you're recently married. You should have read it before. Before you have children, choose to read child guidance. Choose to read counsels on diets and foods. Choose to read the Conflict of the Ages series. Give me the five books in that series in order. No Steps to Christ. Conflict of the Ages. Patriarchs and Prophets. Prophets and Kings. Desire of Ages. Acts of the Apostles. The Great Controversy. God bless you for guessing correctly. Choose to read those books and give yourself a broad understanding of this church, this movement, and the man that raised it up. We choose wrong so effortlessly, but through the indwelling power of God's Spirit, we can choose right effortlessly. Those young boys said to Nebuchadnezzar, God can save us, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods. That's not the word of a man who's hesitating. Nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Daniel was told for 30 days, pray to Darius. He could simply have closed his window and prayed to his God. Kept it open, that was his witness. He chose to face ravenous lions. Those Christians in the early era of the church, all they had to do was sprinkle incense on an altar showing devotion to some Roman god and go back home and repent. They said no. And so they were eaten by lions in uh, Colosseums. If they could make those choices, you and I can make a choice not to work on Sabbath. You and I can make a choice not to engage in romantic relationships outside the church. Adventist Home, page 67, paragraph 1, Ellen White writes, To connect with an unbeliever is to place yourself on Satan's ground. You and I can choose to stop eating dead animals. You and I can choose to cut back our frenetic rush to climb the career ladder and take time to raise our children biblically. You and I can choose to return a tithe and leave the consequences to God. You and I can choose to view this body as the temple of the Holy Ghost and not as a sexual playground for anyone. We can choose. And you and I can choose to love righteousness and to hate sin. How many of you will say with me, Father,
Help me to choose right. Every time I'm confronted with a choice, help me to, may I see your right hand? Now, do you mean that? Stand up with me. Having heard what I said this morning, how many of us have to make a change in some critical area of our lives? Can I see your hand? Don't identify. There, either you need to start t- returning a tithe, stop working on Sabbath, stop watching TV on Friday night, stop dating that non-Adventist man or woman. You need to make a change in the critical area having heard this message. How many of you will say, Father, help me to make that change? Can I see your hand? Keep your hand up. Dear God, your love for us will not save us if we don't respond. Ellen White writes, God's grace will not supply the place of man's cooperation. Signs of the Times, December 28, 1891, paragraph 1. We must cooperate with you, dear God. The best known verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth, that's our part. Those for whom Jesus shed his blood have raised their hands to say, having heard this message on choice and making correct choices regarding the issues of life, there is an area in my life I need to change. And by the grace of God, I choose to undertake that change beginning now. And so we've raised our hands to say that. Father in heaven, every time a preacher makes a call, the devil makes one. His call is, do not respond. His call is, you're fine. His call is, you've got time. His call is, what's the big thing? It's a big thing. Eating a fruit looks small. It was a big thing. Father, please, if you mean it when you said, you are not willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3, 9. If you mean it when you said, you will have all men to be saved in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. If you mean it when you said in Ezekiel 33, 11, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. If you mean it, dear God, and we know you do because you don't lie, give us the grace to make that change while we have life. Now God bless every man, every woman, Every boy, every girl, bless every family. A double blessing on the little children, they God, who are quietly affected by the hypocrisy of their parents. But they say nothing. When they reach the age of accountability or independence, they leave the church. Father, doubly bless them and shield them against the hypocrisy of adults. Because you love children in a very special way. As we leave this place, dear God, let us not engage in our usual habit of secular, non-significant chat. Let us think of what we've heard. Let us choose to meditate on the words we heard. Not only this morning, but over the weekend. Let us choose to do that. As we descend the winding road, dear God, with danger on one side or the other. Just the slip of a tire and we can go rolling down the mountainside. As we descend, let's not descend in laughter and jokes and video games. Let's descend in prayer and meditation. Father, when you come, save every single person who attended this conference. Oh, come before there's another conference day, God. Please, we pray from our hearts. In Jesus' name, let all God's people say, Amen. And the middle Lord bless you and bless you and bless you right into his kingdom. 
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.